What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by Joey Mayalari. So tonight is like an agenda-free episode, it seems like, kind of like a Felger and Maz. Friday uh, afternoon at 98.5. I had a lot going on this week, so I didn't really get to prepare too much of this episode. So a lot of this is just going to be off the top of the head, free-flowing. I will be having the sports guru, Mike Hurley, come on at some point. He'll come on to talk all things sports. I'm sure we'll touch everything, the NBA and NHL, of course, and the Bruins. The Celtics, the Red Sox, the Pages, we just talk everything every time he comes on. So we'll be talking all sports with him at some point, probably about in about 20 minutes or so. Uh, but before that, before he comes on, I'm going to talk about the World Series, which the Astros ended up winning in six games. I'll give an update on the MLB offseason now, which free agency uh, just began. So I'll talk about some players opting out of contracts, including Xander Bogots and the Red Sox. I'll get into the style of college basketball season, which started yesterday. BC basketball beating Cornell in a very close game at the buzzer almost. BC had their game-winning bucket from forward freshman Prince Oligbe with .9 seconds left. He had a big shot uh, to give BC the lead and give them the win ultimately uh, in that game yesterday. Northeastern lost in their home opener or season opener. It was actually away at BU, so against Boston University. Lost yesterday, tough game for Northeastern, uh, losing there. They typically actually pretty good against BU uh, in years past, but obviously they don't have really the same team uh, they've also had in years past where they have a dominant point guard. That's the main reason Northeastern basketball was so good for so many years in the CAA was their point guards. And I know I don't talk too much about Northeastern basketball here. It's typically some other things. So some names you might have heard me say, like Vasa Pushitsa, uh, but I probably didn't get into TJ Williams and Jordan Rowland. I definitely talked about uh, Tyson Walker. I definitely talked about, but it goes back all the way to the Vasa days, TJ Williams days, Jordan Rowland days, Tyson Walker days. Northeastern always had a dominant point guard, and that's just what they do not have right now. So that's a struggle for them, obviously, uh, especially last season. They struggled the whole year without a, without a true point guard. Uh, so losing yesterday, tough loss for them. So I'll talk about the World Series, talk about college basketball, talk about the MLB offseason. Uh, then I'll also talk about the NFL as well. The Giants will be playing this weekend against the Houston Texans. Right now opening up as six-and-a-half-point favorites at home at MetLife Stadium. Will be a special game this weekend for me. I will be going to that game uh, in New York. It's actually in New Jersey, but I will be in New York this weekend. So I'm psyched for that. Uh, me and my friends will be going there to celebrate uh, Mark Walsh, the legend's birthday. So happy birthday to the legend, Mark Walsh. Should be a great birthday celebration. Very excited for that. Uh, and obviously a great time celebrating with the boys, um, of course. We'll be at the Giants game, which will be really cool. Hopefully the Giants get a win. Uh, it'll be my second game at MetLife Stadium. I went to MetLife Stadium in 2019, the last week of the season. Saw the Giants play the Eagles. Uh, it was actually Eli's last home game uh, as a New York Giant, even though he didn't play in that game. So uh, that was a special moment. That was my last time at MetLife. Uh, there was actually a picture that came out. I think it was by the Associated Press of Eli walking out for the last time, walking into the tunnel after the game ended with his hand in the air, waving to the crowd. It was from the back view, so it was the back of Eli's jersey, Manning 10, obviously, in the back of it. And there I am in the center of the top of the uh, tunnel. There's like a board that goes over the tunnel. That's, I think it was a Pepsi sign or something. Uh, that goes over the tunnel, uh, you know, just a top, like a roof. And there I am just right at the top of it, you know, with my hands in the air or something, and um, right in the top of the picture. So that was my, first, my last time at MetLife Stadium. Uh, obviously my first time back there since. So I'm excited to be back at MetLife. I saw the Giants play three times in 2019, uh, preseason game against the Patriots. And then I saw them play the Patriots on Thursday Night Football. And then I saw them play that last game of the season in 2019. So I've seen the Giants play three times. Saw Daniel Jones play three times now. Uh, this will now be my fourth time seeing him play in person. My fourth time seeing Saquon Barkley play in person. So I'm very excited for all of that. Should be a great game uh, for the Giants. Hopefully they come out of the bye week hot. With the Giants, though, already have issues coming out of the bye week. Xavier McKinney got into an ATV accident or something like that. 
uh, and hurt his hand, which I don't even know if he's going to be back this year, which is very interesting considering the Giants just never have any luck. We usually have injuries on the field, not breaking fingers and fracturing hands off the field. We've had that in the past, obviously, with Jason Pierre-Paul and the fireworks accident. But for the most part, the Giants just do not have great success and luck on the field with injuries. And now we obviously, coming out of the bye week, one of our best players, David McKinney on defense, will be out for multiple weeks after an ATV uh, accident. So not great, not ideal seeing him break his hand now. The Giants going to be looking for some safety depth on the market. You know, obviously you can't trade for guys now, but maybe on the waiver wire we're looking for guys or maybe promoting guys to the practice squad that will get an opportunity. But uh, as of now, it looks like he will be out uh, for at least four weeks. I think he was put on the IR. So he'll be out at least four weeks. And then the Giants will be without, it seems like, Aaron Robinson for the rest of the year, who coming into the season was supposed to be the started cornerback opposite of Dory Jackson. Seems like he will be out the rest of the year. So tough losing him to a knee injury. I came into the year with good hopes about him. I was a little bit down on him watching the preseason games. And I said, let's give him a chance in the regular season, see what he does. Had a couple good games, played very well against the Titans, then ended up having, I believe it was, an appendix taken care of in week two or week three. And then has not played since. And I think he had a knee injury at some point in there. So it seems like he'll be out for the remainder of the season as of what Brian Dayball, the Giants head coach, said today. So that's a big loss for the Giants. And then obviously they're battling injuries with Evan Neal being hurt. Kenny Galladay looks like he's coming back. And there's one thing about Galladay that I started talking about last week when I had my friend Will and my friend Brian in here. I started talking about my positive outlook on Galladay. Just a little bit improving. Obviously, Galladay was never a big fan of. Was not a big fan of the contract we gave him. I always thought he was overrated. I didn't think he was worth, you know, that four-year, $72 million deal we gave him. I don't think he was even worth $13 million a year. Now, obviously, wide receivers are getting 20 plus. So, if he was getting $13 million a year and not doing anything at the end of the day, it might be a bargain considering every receiver is making $20 million now. But the way I saw it with Galladay was I, don't, I didn't like his effort last year. I would never block. Uh, on a run to the outside, he'll walk back to the line of scrimmage with 30 seconds to go with a minute to go. We're trying to do a one-minute, two-minute drill. We're trying to go down the field and make a play happen before halftime or at the end of a game. We're trailing with 30 seconds to go. He just never seemed to give any effort. And that's my problem with him. That was my problem with him. But then I started realizing if they traded Kadarius Tony. The Giants really have very thin at receiver. With Sterling Shepard being out for the year, traded Kadarius Tony. then you look at it, you're left with David Sills, Richie James, who obviously had those two muffed punts a couple weeks ago now uh, in that game against the Seattle Seahawks. It lost us the game, unfortunately. I wouldn't say it was really all on him. At the end of the day, Richie James won us some games at the beginning of the year, so I will not be blaming him for the reason we lost that game. We, we had some chances in that game to make things happen. Obviously, the fumbles or the muffed punts definitely did not help. It put the Seahawks in position to win that game, yes. But at the end of the day, there's a lot that goes into a win and a loss. I'm not blaming just Richie James for that. Obviously, the Giants did not have any help at the receiver position. They would drop passes in that game. Daniel Jones still didn't really have much time to throw. So there's a lot that goes into a win and loss, right? There's a lot that goes into a win and loss. So I was not going to blame Richie James for that loss. Although, as I said, he helped us out with winning some games earlier in the season. So you look at it, your receivers are Richie James, David Sills, and Marcus Johnson with Darius Slayton as well. So that's really three backup receivers on most teams. And then you add in a guy like Darius Lane, who probably be the third or fourth receiver on most teams. And Wondell Robinson also has been healthy as well. So Wondell's the only guy that play on probably just about every team. Then Darius Lane probably be about a fourth or fifth receiver on most teams. Richie James, David Sills, Marcus Johnson, probably the fifth or sixth receivers or practice squad on most teams. And mainly for Sills and Johnson. I think Richie James is probably a fifth receiver on most teams. But the point being, what I'm saying is, I looked at the Giants receiving depth and I said, Kenny Galladay, I mean, at the end of the day, you're not going to be able to move that contract. If you want to move that contract, as I've said multiple times now, 
you're going to have to give up either a second or a third round pick with a fourth or a fifth. So if you give up a fourth round pick, maybe you only got to give up a third. In a, uh, I don't know. At the end of the day, there's a lot that goes into a team taking him on. Maybe they need receiving help. Maybe they want the draft picks. There's a lot that goes into that. Maybe they have the salary cap, obviously, and they have the money to spend and they can take on that money, kind of like what the Houston Texans and the Cleveland Browns did a few years ago when the Texans wanted to offload that Brock Osweiler contract they gave him. I think it was around four years, $64 million, something like that. They wanted to offload that. They ended up giving up the fourth overall pick in that draft, which ended up becoming Denzel Ward to the Browns in order to move that contract. Obviously, the Texans wanted to get some cap space. They had to move the fourth overall pick in that draft, a first-round pick, to move that. I don't think the Giants are in that bad of a position. I, I think with Galladay, you'd probably have to give up realistically a third and a sixth-round pick to trade him. And then also, you'd probably get a fifth back in return. So it'd be Galladay a third and a fifth. Or God, a third and a sixth, that is, for a fifth in return. I don't know. That's just a guess. At the end of the day, who knows what a GM would value him at. But the way I see it is, God is the best the Giants are going to get at this point at the receiver position. And I had a positive outlook on him when I watched an interview of him last week in the locker room. He was saying he wants to be here on a 6-1 and one team. Now the Giants are 6-2. and two. This was before that Seahawks game. I want to be here on a 6-1 and one team. I'm excited to come back. I want to contribute. I want to win. I want to be here in a Giants uniform. I love being in New York. And obviously that's all kumbaya at the end of the day. He still has to go out there and do some positive things. But I realized, I mean, if the Giants want to win, they need some help with the receiver position. And Galladay, we paid to be that guy. And I don't think he's a wide receiver one. I think he's a wide receiver two. But be the best wide receiver two you can be. Don't be a wide receiver three or a wide receiver four where if you're playing, you're not giving anything. And when you're not playing, obviously you're not contributing at all. And he posted Instagram this past week, a couple days ago now. And I love the caption. Give him credit on it. I think it honestly may have helped my outlook and perspective on Kenny Galladay. He tweeted, or he put it on Instagram, posted a picture of him in some fresh Air Force Ones, had a nice watch on, had some sunglasses on, a fresh cut, uh, had his earrings on, had a nice coat on, nice pants, looked pretty sick, very drippy, a nice picture. His caption was, I'm going to make them, I'm going to make them count, I'm going to make them lose count, excuse me for the messing up here, I'm going to make them lose count when they're adding up the total. So what he's saying is, I'm going to make them lose count when they're rounding up the total. I love that caption. I think it's an elite caption. Definitely helped my outlook on Galladay. Uh, hopefully he comes back for the Giants this week against the Texans and has a good game. My prediction for this Giants-Texans game, I think the Giants will win this game. Obviously, at the end of the day, coming off a bye week, you should win every game off a bye week. But I know in years past, the Giants have struggled off the bye. With 6-2, the Texans are 1-6-1. If you look at it, the Giants are 4-1 in their last five games. Texans 1-4. Giants obviously losing their last game against the Seahawks. Then have the bye week. The Texans have lost three in a row. Neither team scores many points. The Texans averages 16.6 points per game, which is 28th in the NFL. Giants at 20.4 points per game, which is 22nd in the NFL. The Giants defense only allowing 19.6 points per game, which is 8th best in the NFL. And if you look at it, the Texans don't really move the ball much. 290 yards per game on offense, which is 29th in the NFL. 101 rushing yards per game, which is 25th in the NFL, despite them having a very good running back and rookie Damian Pierce. They don't really have much to play for. Uh, or much to help out that offense for Davis Mills, besides Brandon Cooks. Uh, so at the end of the day, I'm going to give the Giants a win in this game coming off the bye. I think they win this game 34-21. Uh, this would also be the Giants' first game scoring 30-plus points in a couple of years, I believe, which I want to get that statistic down uh, to make sure I'm not wrong about that. But the Giants haven't really scored 30 points in a game since, I believe, like 2019, which is nuts. Let me make sure I get that down. But at the end of the day, this would be a great opportunity for the Giants to score and put up a good game, obviously, off the bye. Hopefully, uh, Daniel Jones can get the game going and, and obviously be running the ball. I think that's 
playing to his strength. I know we got the Seahawks. We didn't really run the ball as much as we typically would have. Uh, but hopefully the Giants can move the ball downfield. Uh, and my prediction for this game is the Giants winning 34-21. And I think Kenny Galladay, maybe 34-20. That's, that'll be my prediction. Giants win by two touchdowns straight up. I think Kenny Galladay catches his first touchdown as a New York Giant this weekend. If he's healthy and he's playing, that's my prediction. I think Kenny Galladay catches his first touchdown as a New York Giant this weekend. So obviously we'll see what happens there. Uh, but now we'll move on uh, to the MLB. Obviously my prediction was the Phillies winning in six games. There was something different about that Phillies team the whole postseason where they go up against the Cardinals and they run the dogs they win that series. They go up against the Padres, they run the dogs in that series, they win that series. Or as the Braves before that. It was, they were underdogs against the Cardinals in the wild card round, they win that. They were underdogs against the Braves in the divisional round, they win that. They were underdogs in the NLCS, the championship round, against the Padres, they win that. So they were underdogs going into this Houston series, and obviously Houston did not lose a game at all in the postseason heading into this series. The Phillies started the series 1-0, winning game one, that obviously was huge. Uh, but after that, they just kind of fell off. Obviously, they ended up winning in Game 3, got the lead back up 2-1, to one, and ended up losing three straight games, losing in Game 4, 5 to nothing. Christian Javier was excellent on the mound for the Astros in that game. Then Game 5, uh, which was a return to Houston, with Houston obviously tying up the series in Game 4, is 2-2 two two heading into Game 5 in Houston. Uh, or, no, false, I'm wrong about that. It was 2-2 two to two with Houston playing one last game in Philly, taking the lead, a 3-2 lead, winning that game 3-2 to two in Game 5 before heading back to Houston uh, and winning Game 6, 4-1. Frambois Valdez was on the mound in that game for the Astros. Uh, got the start, I believe. Uh, yes, he did. Six innings on the mound, giving up one run, nine strikeouts, two walks, with a 1-4-4 ERA in the postseason. He was electric in the postseason for them. Uh, as for the Phillies, Zach Wheeler got the mound in this elimination game, going five and a third innings, giving up two earned runs, five strikeouts, a walk, and three hits. Jose Alvarado had a tough game, giving up two earned runs, a strikeout, and a walk, and just on a third of an inning pitch. Only got one out, uh, and also had a 5-5-6 postseason ERA. Uh, tough game for the Phillies. They only managed to get three hits in this game. Also had an error. The Astros were really just... Only hot in one inning. They had four runs in the sixth inning. The Phillies scored on the top of the sixth, got a run. We're up one nothing. Then in that bottom of the sixth, uh, and that run came off of uh, Kyle Schwarber home run, his sixth in the postseason off from Valdez uh, in the sixth inning with no guys on base. Unfortunately, so it was only a solo shot. And then the Astros recovered in the sixth inning, scoring four runs, uh, and obviously took control of the game with a three-run home run off Jordan Alvarez's bat. Uh, Alvarez struggled in the postseason, really. Only hit 192, but... Uh, was 1-4 for four in this game with three RBIs with that three-run home run. Uh, only had a 4.23 slugging percentage in the postseason, which isn't bad, but considering how good he was in the post in the regular season, you'd expect more from him than a 7.35 OPS. Uh, a 7.35 OPS definitely isn't great for him, especially considering how good he is and how talented he is as a player. I always thought he was overrated. I think he's a good baseball player. I think he's one of the best in the game. I'm not saying I don't think he's good. I think he's very good. I think he's very talented, but I do not think he's the best hitter in the major leagues, like most people are putting him in the September conversation of who's the best player in baseball. I know a lot of people are talking about him because obviously at that home run against the Mariners in the eighth and ninth inning that took back that game uh, in game one of the uh, divisional round against the Mariners. But I think he's a very good baseball player, but I do not think he's the best hitter in baseball like, like most people make him seem to be. Uh, but at the end of the day, the talk of the Astros was Jeremy Pena, was absolutely unreal in the postseason for them. And this is a kid that actually went to UMaine, which not many people would know, especially I didn't even know this until a couple days ago. Jeremy Pena, the World Series MVP, was a rookie this year for the Astros, the first rookie shortstop ever to win the Gold Glove, the first rookie ever in the World Series to have a hit 
in every single game of the World Series, all six games having a hit in them. He went to UMaine, which is nuts. It just shows his talent, I guess, on the East Coast in baseball. Even though everyone thinks baseball, the South and the West Coast, so California, Florida, Texas, Tennessee, everyone just thinks that when they think baseball, Georgia, obviously. No one talks about UMaine, which, you know, me and my curly sports guru, big UMaine football fans, I'm sure we'll talk about them when he's on in about 10 minutes. He went to UMaine, and he was their best player in the postseason, probably the best player overall in the entire postseason besides Bryce Hopper. Bryce Hopper had a great postseason, uh, played great in the entire postseason for the Phillies. It was a big reason they got as far as they did uh, in the postseason for Bryce Hopper. He was electric. Uh, overall, obviously, didn't get the outcome he wanted. But Bryce Hopper had a great postseason, nothing he can hang his head on. He gave the Phillies all he had, really, at the end of the day, and that's all you can expect from a guy like him, especially his caliber. He's come back from an injury and really tore it up in the postseason for them, uh, hitting six home runs with 13 RBIs, a stolen base, a 349 batting average, an 1160 OPS, a 414 on base percentage with 22 hits in 63 at-bats, uh, and as I said, six home runs. So Hopper had a great postseason, but Jeremy Pena was just absolutely electric. And there's something different about Jeremy Payne. I don't know what it was, but every time he got up to the plate, it was, well, this guy's up again. And as a Phillies fan, if you root for the Phillies or you're a Phillies fan, that's the last guy you want to see up for them. The last guy you want to see up is Jeremy Payne. He had 345 in the postseason with four home runs, eight RBIs, a 367 on base percentage, and a 1,005 OPS with 20 hits, 12 runs scored, 20 hits in those 58 at-bats. was unreal. And he was good in the regular season as well. Uh, obviously, as a rookie, you're not going to be hitting 300 in the regular season, typically, but hit 253 in the regular season with a 289 on base percentage, a 715 OPS, 22 home runs, 63 RBIs, 11 stolen bases, with 72 runs scored. That's pretty good. And if you look at it, he's a third-round pick, 102nd overall pick in the 2018 draft. Made his debut this year on April 7th, so the beginning of the season. Uh, and as I said, went to UMaine, and he ended up being the World Series MVP, uh, and rightfully so. It was unreal in the postseason, and obviously in the World Series, was just a guy you could not get out. Every time he got up, you were just worried. If you were rooting for the Phillies, you do not want to see Jeremy Payne to get up to the plate. And what he did in the World Series was unreal. 10 for 25, 10 hits and 25 at-bats, two doubles, a home run, three RBIs, and a 400... Batting average was unreal, 423 on base percentage, a 600 slugging percentage, and a 1,023, so 1023 OPS, uh, and a 715 uh, OPS overall in the regular season. If you look at what he did in the, in the World Series, a 1023 OPS. So 715 OPS in the regular season is pretty good for a rookie. A 1023 OPS in the World Series is unreal. So credit to Jeremy Pena, obviously playing well. But another thing for that Astros team was how great that bullpen was. Brian Abreu in 10 appearances in the postseason. 11 of the third innings pitched with 19 strikeouts and no runs allowed. A zero ERA. Ryan Presley in 10 appearances. A zero ERA with six saves, 11 innings pitched, 13 strikeouts, and a .64 whip. For Abreu, a .71 whip. These guys are electric, and they were great in the regular season too. Great in the postseason, uh, obviously overall. Uh, but in the regular season, Abreu was great, 194 ERA in 55 appearances uh, with 88 strikeouts and 60 and third innings pitched. As for Presley, a 298 ERA in the regular season with a 3-3 record with 33 saves and 48 and third innings pitched and 65 strikeouts uh, with a .89 whip. So these guys were great overall, but talk of that team, obviously, was Payne here, and that bullpen pitched great as well. So congratulations to the Astros, obviously. 
At the end of the day, it's a dynasty. I know a lot of people have fans of them for the whole cheating scandal, and I get it. Uh, but this team has established its dynasty, uh, and rightfully so. They've built it from the bottom uh, with a lot of these guys being draft picks. Jose uh, Altuve being a draft pick. Jeremy Pena. Carlos Correa was with them for a while, was a draft pick. Uh, Jordan Alvarez uh, was a the guy they got in a trade. Uh, but everyone else really had draft picks. Bregman, Altuve, uh, Pena. A lot of these guys are draft picks. Uh, Gurriel, I believe, is an international signing. Uh, so at the end of the day, credit to these guys uh, for building uh, through their farm system. Obviously, being a franchise that struggled for so long, and now they've established a dynasty. So not an Astros fan. I was rooting for the Phillies. And congratulations to the Phillies on a great run. No one had them making it as far as they did. Uh, I know at the beginning of the season, on opening day, I made my predictions. It was the Red Sox beating the Phillies in six games. Obviously, it did not work out for the Red Sox. So I'm going to get into the Red Sox in a second. Uh, did not work out for the Red Sox at the end of the day. The Phillies end up making it to the World Series. I'll take that. As I said, my grandfather's a big Phillies fan. So uh, respect to the Phillies. I'm happy they made it as far as they did. So now I'm going to talk about the MLB offseason very quickly. And then I'll move on to uh, talking about college basketball maybe for a minute or two. uh, Which is a lot to talk about everywhere. College hockey uh, this weekend. Northeastern's playing BC Friday night at Matthews Arena. 7 o'clock puck drop, I believe. And then 7 o'clock puck drop Saturday night at Conti Forum at BC. Northeastern Huskies uh, versus BC. And it's unfortunate I'm missing that game because at the end of the day, my favorite sport besides obviously talking about the NFL, I love talking college hockey. And it's unfortunate I'm going to be missing Northeastern's last game at BC at Conti Forum while I'm a student here at BC. Uh, I love wearing all my Northeastern stuff when I come to Conti Forum when Northeastern's playing them. And at the end of the day, I'm losing my last opportunity to do that. Uh, Going to New York to see a Giants game, obviously, that's well worth it. But uh, this weekend, Northeastern will be playing BC Hockey. As I said, Friday and Saturday, it's a home-and-home. Home. As for how the teams are looking this year, BC 2-4-1 on the season, 2-3 in the Hockey East. Northeastern 6-2-2 two two overall, 5-2-1 in the Hockey East. Uh, Northeastern came up a great weekend this past weekend, uh, beating UNH 6-2 and then 3-0 uh, in their home-and-home home series, so 9-2 combined uh, score there. They got a hat-trick on Friday night from Justin Ritzkovian uh, at Matthews Arena, three goals from Ritzkovian. He also added uh, an assist, so he had four points on the night. Sam Colangelo had a goal, Jeremy Bushler had a goal, Ada McDonough had a goal. Uh, it was actually Ada McDonough's 100th point uh, in that game he got. He had an assist, uh, two assists and a goal. He had a three-point night. So three-point night uh, for Aiden McDonough getting his 100th point as a Husky uh, in that game. And then that Saturday game at UNH, uh, who else would have scored two of the three goals? Justin Ritzkovian, a power play goal to start the night. And then Gunnar Wolf-Fontaine had a goal. He had two points in the night. And then Ritzkovian got a goal in the third period. Uh, great game for Northeastern. As for Northeastern, uh, shots on goal-wise, they gave up 33 goals. And Devin Levi obviously having a shutout with 33 saves and 33 opportunities. As for BC Hockey... Coming off a tough weekend, honestly, I think with BC, I think right now, it's early in the season, so you can't really make too many predictions, but losing Thursday, 3-1 to one at Merrimack last weekend with only one goal, Eamon Powell scoring a goal in the second period to make a 2-1 to one game, and then obviously giving up a goal in the third period. Uh, Benson hasn't been playing bad. I mean, that Thursday night game, 30 shots on goal, saving three, uh, saving 27 of 30 shots on goal isn't a bad night. Uh, but with BC that night on Thursday night, only 19 shots a goal to Merrimack's 30. And then another thing is BC really weren't dominating in shots on goal in the second and third periods. I mean, Merrimack had 10 shots a goal in the second period and 11 shots a goal in the third period. So 21 shots a goal in the second and third period to BC's 10, 7 in the second period, 3, uh, 4 in the third period. If BC's trailing, 
Two to one going into the third period. You'd think BC would be lighting it up, shots on goal. They only had four shots on goal in the third period. So that was my main problem Thursday night with BC. Then Saturday night, or Saturday day, it was a one o'clock game actually. BC struggled, uh, losing that game five to two to Merrimack. And Merrimack's a good team. So I'm not saying losing Merrimack's a bad thing at the end of the day. Merrimack six and three on the year, four and one in the Hockey East. Had a very good year last year in the Hockey East. So I'm not saying losing to Merrimack's the worst thing, but at the end of the day, You'd like to see more from BC Hockey, uh, losing 5-2 to two in a home game uh, on a Saturday afternoon, which I know Saturday afternoons you're not going to really get a crowd atmosphere, especially considering with all the renovations they're doing at County Forum. I think it's a main thing they're doing with some night, uh, some day games when they're not doing night games. That's why I'm disappointed I'm missing this night game with it being Northeast on Saturday night. But BC really has been struggling, obviously, and shots on goal-wise, it was better on Saturday. 32-29, to 29, Merrimack won the shots on goal. But BC was really just getting killed uh, goals-wise scoring opportunities. Obviously, shots are goal-wise, it was 32-29, but it was the shots of goal Merrimack were getting. It just was tic-tac-toe. The last goal Merrimack had, I believe it was, or the, I think it was the third goal, uh, maybe Mike Brown's goal in the second period. Oh, no, it was the fifth goal of this. Philip Forsmark had a goal. Ben Brower in the assist, who also scored their first goal of the game. It was wild. It was a 2-1-1, basically 2-1-none. And at the end of the day, Benson had no opportunity. The defense left him out to dry. Tic-tac-toe, wide open right side of the net goal. And I wasn't blaming him for that. Uh, obviously, Benson had his work cut out for him when it was a 2-1-none. But at the end of the day, BC really had no opportunities in that game. That game was over with uh, until, I mean, after the first period, it was 2-1, I guess. So the game was still a game. But uh, midway through the third period, it was 5-1. And that game obviously was over with. But... One positive for BC is Cutter Goudier. He's been playing very well uh, for BC. Obviously a freshman playing very well so far in the season. He's got three goals uh, with an assist of four points. He's actually uh, second on the team in goals to Kobe Ambrosio. He's got four goals. As for Northeastern Hockey, uh, eight goals on the year for Justin ritz Kobe with four assists. He's got 12 points, which is actually second most on the team, tied with Gunnar Wolf-Fontaine. Aiden McDonough, seven goals, which is second most on the team, eight assists, and 15 overall points, which is number one on the team. As for where these guys rank across all college hockey, you'd be pretty impressed. Aiden McDonough is actually sixth in college hockey right now in points. Blake Bennett and Jordan Biro, two guys from AIC, are both tied right now for 12th, or 11th and 12th, 10th, 10th and 11th actually, because they have 14 points. 10th and 11th in college hockey in points with 14. So they're tied for 10th in college hockey with points, uh, which is very impressive. Obviously, both of those guys have great years. Blake Bennett, scoring machine, eight goals and uh, six assists in uh, 11 games played. So 14 points in 11 games played. He's averaging uh, 1.273 points per game. He's got a plus six, plus minus rating. So very impressive already uh, on the season. He's a senior, had a very good year last year. I expected him to have a very good year in college hockey. And right now, goals-wise, He's right up there. He's right up there goals-wise. Tied for fifth most goals in college hockey right now uh, with eight. Tied with Justin Wiscovian of Northeastern. So very impressive start of the season uh, for him. Obviously, I'm a big AIC hockey fan. Uh, coming off a tougher weekend this past weekend. Uh, losing uh, two games, actually, two RIT. Uh, Rochester Institute of Technology, two divisional games, losing 4-3 to three in the first game, uh, and then losing 3-2, to two, uh, both those games being in Springfield uh, for AIC, losing both those games. Both one-goal games. I think one thing with AIC is they'll get hard towards the end of the year. If you look at it, they are 3-2 and two in their last five games played, obviously losing their last two. Uh, but 
They are 3-3 three three in the Atlantic Hockey Division on the year, 5-4-2 overall. And I think they'll get going. I think one thing with them is they have a lot of divisional games coming up, obviously. And if you look at the West Holy Cross earlier in the year, that game 7-3 in uh, a home game. I believe it was their second game at home of the year. Now they get Holy Cross. The next home game will be a Holy Cross game uh, on November 15th. That's the next home game, so uh, a week from tonight. Uh, so hopefully I'll be recapping what's going on in that game live. That'll be a 7-0-5 game in Springfield, Mass. Uh, they do have a couple of divisional games this weekend, the 11th and 12th uh, versus Canisius. But uh, I'm excited to see what they do uh, at the midpoint of this season. Uh, we're only 11 games in, but they hit their stride at the midpoint of last season where they started out the season like 4-8, 4-9. Then they won 13 out of 15 games. So I think they can go on that run, and I'm excited to see what they do. Uh, and Obviously, it'll be interesting to see. This team really got hot last, and then they made a run uh, all the way to the Frozen Four tournament and only lost, uh, I believe it was 5-3 to three to Michigan, and gave them a game with two goals from Blake Bennett. So hopefully uh, they have a good weekend this weekend in the Atlantic Hockey Division. Hopefully they get back on track and win two games there. As for Northeastern versus BC, this is... Northeastern's second game and third game against BC on the year. They tied BC in an out-of-conference game early in the year at Matthews Arena on a Tuesday night. It was a 3-3 game there. Uh, Northeastern ended up winning in a shootout. In that game, Northeastern had goals from Aiden McDonough, Jack Hughes, and Matt DeMellis. As for BC, they had goals from Trevor Kunta, Kobe Ambrosio, and Carter Goudier. Ambrosio had two points in the night. Aiden McDonough had the goal, as I said, started out the night with a power play goal in the first period. Uh, as for Northeastern, uh, they had an assist from Gunnar Wolfontaine. It's him, uh, Colangelo, uh, on that first goal. Colangelo had an assist. And as I said, uh, Fontaine had a couple assists on the night uh, with an assist in that Jack Hughes goal in the third period. Uh, as for shots on goal, that game was pretty even. 35 shots on goal uh, to 33. Northeastern uh, led that battle there. And overall, it was pretty... Uh, exciting of a game. Ten shots a goal for Northeastern in the third, eight for BC, four shots a goal for Northeastern in the overtime period for three for BC. So we'll see what happens there in that game. Uh, pretty even game overall. Northeastern winning the shots blocked battle there, 16 to 9. And that's what Northeastern's been doing great this year is shots blocked. So hopefully it'll be a good battle there. I think Northeastern at worst splits that series. I think Northeastern wins Friday night, 4 to 2. Uh, hopefully a couple goals. Uh, from Aiden McDonough, I think he'll have another hot weekend. Uh, I think Joshua's Cove will have a goal as well. I'm um, hoping Sam Colangelo gets hot. Maybe not McDonough. I hope Colangelo has a couple goals. I think McDonough will score uh, at least in one of the two games. Hopefully Sam Colangelo gets going, has a couple goals on Friday and Saturday night. As a BC Hockey, one thing they got to get is consistency, getting back on defense. That's one thing they've been struggling with is setting the defense up. And you look at it, Merrimack was sniping. Sniping from the point, sniping from the blue line, uh, getting shots in the slot. Merrimack was positioning themselves perfectly in this game. And obviously, Forsmark's goal, uh, that last goal in the third period, that was perfect execution. They saw something, obviously saw a two-on-none, and they knew BC's defense wouldn't get back. They had the breakaway and obviously an opportunity to score, and they ended up taking advantage of it. But it wasn't just that. They were sniping from the point. I think it was Brown's goal for Merrimack. They sniped. There was no room, and they just saw a hole in the defense and just sniped. Uh, and obviously had a great shot. Obviously, it takes a great shot. It takes accuracy. But you obviously got to know okay, this is where the defense sets up, and this is where the hole is going to be, and this is where we can shoot from, and this is where we're going to create opportunities. And BC's got to work on positioning on defense. I think, obviously, it's early in the season, so you can still work on that. But at the end of the day, BC's got their work cut out for them, obviously, going up against Northeastern. Hopefully, for BC's sake, if they split this weekend, that'd be a win for them. Obviously, for Northeastern, they'd love to obviously go 2-0, but a split wouldn't be the worst thing at the end of the day. So 
Uh, I root for Northeast, and you guys know I'm a Northeast hockey fan, but obviously my dad's a big uh, BC hockey fan, obviously, talking BC uh, sports on the BC, uh, you know, sports radio show here in WZBC. I got to be rooting for BC as well, I guess. So at the end of the day, can't be mad either way, but I will be rooting for Northeast if I had to pick a team there. Uh, as you guys know, obviously, if you've been listening to me for the last year, uh, year and a half now almost, uh, a year and a couple months now, it's not a year and a half completely yet, but you know, now listening two semesters last year and now listening this semester, you know I'm a big Northeast hockey fan. So I'll be rooting for Northeastern. Anyways, let me get into the MLB offseason really quick before I get the sports guru Mike Hurry to come on. Uh, and then I'll also talk a little bit about college basketball uh, right before he comes on. Talk about that very briefly. Uh, but here's some free agents uh, that are available in the market. I'm going to start out. Trey Turner, probably the biggest one besides Aaron Judge. Clayton Kershaw, Nate Evaldi, Jose Abreu, Edwin Diaz, who just signed a big contract uh, with the uh, New York Mets, five years, $102 million, the highest contract given to a relief pitcher ever. Uh, he's getting $102 million, uh, from them, first triple-digit contract for a reliever ever, uh, and obviously well worth it. He had a great year last year for them. And a lot of people look at it and say, why are you giving a reliever $102 million? Why are you doing that? Well, Steve Cohen has the money to spend. Start there. Steve Cohen has the money to spend, and you look at it, he had a one three one ERA on the year in the regular season with 32 saves and 118 strikeouts to 18 walks in 62 innings pitched. With only nine earned runs. Nine earned runs in 62 innings pitched. That's why he got that money. That's why he deserves it. If you look at it, the Red Sox blew, blew so many games this year. And I'm going to try to get the total right now of how many blown saves the Red Sox had in 2022. Let me just make sure I get that completely right. The Red Sox had, which this is coming from... Uh, a bet sports GM, sports bet GM, which I could go there too, but I'm going to try to go here to another site here to talk about how many blown saves the Red Sox had. So overall in the season, the Red Sox had 28 blown saves, which is tied for fifth most in the MLB. Tied for sixth most, that is. Tied for sixth most in the MLB. 28 blown saves and 65 opportunities. You know what the Mets had? 15 blown saves and 55 opportunities. So the difference between the Mets and the Red Sox is 13 blown saves. And 13 more wins, the Red Sox are in the playoffs. So that's the difference at the end of the day. You're going to pay a guy that money if he's getting you the wins. I think that contract's worth it. And best of luck to the Mets, obviously. Uh, we're trying to keep DeGrom at the end of the day. That's probably their biggest thing is trying to keep him. I saw a report today. There's a chance DeGrom's gone. Likely that DeGrom could leave. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, and obviously rooting for DeGrom to stay a Met. Sorry about that for the pause there. I've been battling a cold for the past few days, so I'm here in my Jordan flu game uh, trying to make things happen in the studio, so I apologize for grabbing the water, but like I was saying about them trying to keep DeGrom, I saw a report today DeGrom may not be a Met, and there's is a likelihood, growing likelihood, that he will be testing the free agency market, which is obviously, you know, known. Everyone knows he's going to get the money he wants. But at the end of the day, if you look at it, he's the best pitcher in baseball, went healthy, Obviously, he's been bad in injuries, but he's going to get whatever money he wants. He's getting whatever money he wants. I think the Mets know that. And I think they know, all right, we're going to pay money to Edwin Diaz. Obviously, they have a couple other guys that are free agents, including Brandon Nimmo, who they want to re-sign. I think they're looking at it saying Chris Bassett's a free agent. Michael Conforto, obviously, they've had in the past. He's a free agent. He was a free agent you know, last year and ended up not signing a deal with them after they or he declined their mutual option. Um, but at the end of the day, 
I think the Mets obviously are looking at this DeGrom situation saying, okay, we know what money we can give him, maybe 30, 40 million. Yes, Steve Cohen has the money to spend, but there could be a team that just goes outrageous over the top, and maybe they don't want to do that, which I would give DeGrom any money he wants, but who knows what the Mets' outlook is there. So to keep going, uh, some other guys that are free agents, Josh Bell, Wilson Contreras, Chris Bassett, Andrew Benatendi, Trey Mancini, Brandon Nimmo, Jock Peterson, Jamison Tyone, David Robinson, Brandon Drury, Michael Conforto, who I just mentioned, Dansby Swanson, Sean Manaya, Tyler Anderson, Noah Syndergaard. So that's a good amount of free agents right there that I named. And then some other guys are opting out of player contracts, including Xander Bogart. So not a surprise there. He opted out his contract with the Red Sox. And the reason why that's not a surprise is because he knows he's going to make more money in the free agency market. At the end of the day, the Red Sox were lowballing him. The Red Sox were lowballing Xander Bogarts. I think he knows that too. He knows the Red Sox are lowballing him. He knows he's worth more than the Red Sox are going to give him. I know his power numbers went down, and that's definitely an argument for the reason not giving him the money he would want. But at the end of the day, he's a staple in a franchise player. I think you've got to give him at least a contract offer that's somewhat negotiable where he can say, okay, that's not the money I want, but at least it's in the ballpark. Not lowballing him. You're offering $20 million when he wants 30 And that's why we're the Red Sox are about right now. So Bogarts opting on his contract. Jacob DeGrom as well. Carlos Correa opting on his contract. Carlos Rodon. Uh, uh, Rodon, and then also uh, Anthony Rizzo as well. So if you look at it, Rodon, Rizzo, DeGrom, Bogots, all those guys opting out, and then Justin Verlander realistically would be opting out as well. So the biggest free agents overall, I would say DeGrom, Aaron Judge, Trey Turner, Xander Bogots, Kyle Correa, probably the top five right there, Clayton Kershaw involved in the mix, also a handful of other guys. But I think Trey Turner, if I could build a team around – Five to ten plays in the MLB. If I could name ten plays, I'd build a team around. Trey Turner is definitely up there. I think Trey Turner is one of the best plays in baseball. One of the most under under uh, appreciated plays in the game of baseball. I think everyone knows he's a star, but not to the degree he is. I think Trey Turner is one of the top five to seven to eight players in the game of baseball. I know most people may not agree with me there, but look at what he's done over his career. He's very consistent. He was second in hits, I believe, in the MLB this year. I think it was... His teammate, Freddie Freeman, on the Dodgers with him uh, leading the MLB in hits this year. So very impressive, obviously, with both of those guys being on the same team. It just shows the Dodgers are not afraid to spend uh, and obviously have the two best hitters in baseball. Hits-wise, overall, uh, both those guys have very good uh, regular seasons. Let me see uh, to make sure. Trey Turner was second with 194 hits, hitting 298 on the year. Freddie Freeman, 199 hits, uh, which is first in the MLB, hitting 325. Uh, I think Freeman... It's probably, if I had to rank my best free agents available, I'd probably go Aaron Judge, Jacob DeGrom, Trey Turner, Xander Bogarts, Carlos Correa. And obviously Justin Rowland would be in the mix as well if he opts out, but uh, I don't think anything's official there yet that he's opting out. But there's my top five, uh, top five free agents right there, and maybe at some point I'll give free agent predictions of you know where I think guys are going to end up. But at the end of the day, uh, probably not going to do that tonight. I'm going to move into college basketball really quick, talk some college basketball. Uh, Northeastern basketball losing last night, tough game to BU. Uh, talk about that, talk about BC winning uh, yesterday against Cornell in their home opener, season opener, home opener, whatever you want to call it. BC ended up winning that game 79-77. Ended up being a really close game. Uh, BC was favored in the game by 9.5. Ended up being very close. I think it's because Cornell actually played very well. They were, they were actually not a bad team. Uh, if you look at it, they shot very consistent from 3, 36.1% from 3, which isn't bad considering they took 36 threes. Shooting 13 to 36 from 3 is not bad for a team overall. Uh, and considering BC dominated the paint 48-24, Cornell being in the game is impressive. 
And overall, BC had a big game for Prince Oligbe. He's a freshman forward. Uh, had a very good game. 16 points, 8 rebounds, including the game-winning shot. Uh, shot 8 of 16 for the 4, 0 of 2 for the free throw line. BC was without their best player, uh, DeMar Lankford, and then also Quinton Post. Both those guys being out with injuries. Uh, so hopefully those guys are back healthy soon. Uh, but Makayash and Lankford had 12 points, 5 rebounds, 4 assists. TJ Bickerstaff, 12 points, 10 rebounds, 4 assists. Uh, the Jaden Zachary had a very good year last year as a freshman at BC. Uh, 11 points, 7 assists, 2 rebounds last night. Uh, and then they had a guy, Madsen, who was a transfer from Cincinnati. He was in the starting lineup. 4 points, 2 rebounds. Uh, it was 2 of 2 for the free throw line. Only shot 1 of 8 uh, from the floor. 0 of 4 from 3. So not the best night for him from him shooting. BC's starting lineup was atrocious from 3, though. Uh, 1 of 12 from 3 combined. So obviously getting better there. Uh, 1 of 11 from 3 for BC starting lineup from 3-point land. So, BC's got to get better there. Better shooting threes overall. Uh, as a team, BC shot 23.5% from 3 and 53.8% from the free throw line. Uh, that cannot happen, especially considering BC's going to be going in, playing ACC games at some point in the next couple months. So, month and a half. Uh, obviously, BC's got a lot of out-of-conference games. Now they play Detroit Mercy at home, 1 o'clock uh, on Friday. They play next Monday night at 6 o'clock against UMaine. Uh, and then head to George Mason for their first away game uh, next Friday night. So Friday the 18th. So not this coming Friday, but the Friday after the 18th uh, against George Mason. Then they'll be home against Rhode Island Sunday, November 27th at 12 o'clock. And then have some tough games. Head to Nebraska uh, on Wednesday, November 30th. Then head to Duke for the ACC opener on Saturday, December 3rd, uh, which will be a tough game. And then host Villanova, number 16 team in the country. Duke's number 7 team in the country, so we'll be playing them Saturday, December 3rd. And then playing Villanova at home on Saturday, December 10th at 5 o'clock. That'll be a very tough game. Uh, so they obviously got to get their free throw woes out of the way. But I think one good thing about this BC team is they had a lot of momentum going from last season to this season. Obviously, first year head coach last year, Earl Grant. They had a run in the ACC tournament. Finished last year very strong on a high note. I think this year for BC basketball, there's a lot of positives and a lot of things to look forward to for this team. And I think one good thing is this team has hot, this team has grit, uh, and that's one good thing. But obviously, free throw shooting, three-point shooting, those are things they got to get better at. Uh, and I think, obviously, over the course of the season, that things you, that's things you can work on. That's things you can prove upon. But uh, just based on their first game, it looks like some of the things they had going on last, last season, late-game scenarios, not being able to finish games, turning the ball over the minute to go, not being able to cover with the minute to go. Obviously, Cornell had some big threes yesterday, two big shots uh, with like a minute to go, uh, they had some two two big shots, which, let me see if I get this right. Greg Dolan had a big two-point shot uh, when they were down by five. Cornell was down by five points uh, with a minute 23 seconds to go. And a big uh, two-point shot, foot in the line, one foot in three uh, with one foot in the line. So it ended up being in a two-point two shot, but had a big shot there. Uh, ended up drilling that. Then Max Watson, with Cornell being down by three points after... TJ Bickerstaff turned the ball over, trying to throw the ball out of bounds off of Cornell. It ends up hitting uh, Bickerstaff out of bounds before it lands out of bounds. So it's off Bickerstaff, ends up being Cornell's ball. And with Cornell down by three with 30 seconds to go, Max Watson drilled a three with Prince Oligbe in his face, drilled a three, tied the game 77-77. And then Oligbe with under a second to go, uh, got a pass from Akayash and Lankman, went up with it, and ended up scoring the game-winning shot. Uh, but BC obviously has to get better in late-game scenarios and also have to get better uh, at free-throw shooting and three-point shooting. And those are things you can work on over the course of a season. Uh, as for Northeastern basketball, uh, tough game for them. 
uh, which I want to get into uh, the next opponents as well, which I'll talk about both uh, Northeastern and BC, talk about who each of them are playing uh, in the next few games, uh, and then also talk about, uh, you know, some predictions for the season, which maybe prediction season I'll give at some point um, another time since I want to get the sports guru Mike Hurley on uh, here after talking about college basketball. Uh, this is my last talk before getting him on to talk everything, which we'll probably talk BC football, Probably talk some college football as well. Uh, obviously, with Georgia getting a big win this weekend uh, against Tennessee this past weekend. Obviously, BC football having a bad loss to Duke. We'll be talking about all of those things. So, Sports Guru will come on and talk all things sports as he always does. Uh, that's a pleasure with him with him coming on as he talks everything. So, Northeastern yesterday, tough loss at BU. Lost the game 72-63. to Honestly, weren't doing bad in the first half. Trailed 37-32 at halftime. Second half, though. Uh, ended up trailing by four in the second half points, uh, 35-31. Uh, and one bad thing for Northeastern was they really, really didn't get much help uh, off the bench. Uh, besides uh, beside Troutman, he had 13 points off the bench. They didn't really get any help off the bench. Besides that, they only had five bench points besides Troutman. So that's one thing they have to work on, obviously, is getting points off the bench. Uh, Jamil Telford had a great game in the starting lineup, uh, 36 minutes, eight of 16 shooting three, seven from three, seven of eight from the free throw line, 26 points, nine rebounds, uh, to go along with an assist. Uh, as for Northeastern's other big player, Chris Doherty, uh, only had eight rebounds is usually getting about 10 a game, only had eight rebounds in the game with six points. Uh, and a tough thing for Northeastern was they really could not stop. Walter White on BU. He was 10 of 16 from the floor, six of nine from three, 11 rebounds, uh, 13 rebounds overall, 11 defensive rebounds, 13 rebounds, two blocks, two steals, 27 points. White had a great night, so uh, credit to him on a great night. Uh, and then Jonas Hopper had 15 points uh, with 7 of 10 from the free throw line, 0 of 4 from 3, 4 of 11 from the floor. He had a good night as well. Uh, so that BU team was pretty deep uh, overall scoring-wise. 27 from White, 15 from Hopper, and then had a handful of points from a couple other guys. Nevin Zink had 5 points. Uh, Fletcher Tynan uh, had 4 points. Uh, and then seven points uh, from Damon Tate. As for Northeastern, most of their scoring really came from Glenn McClintock. He had eight points uh, off three of six shooting, two of four from three. Chris Doherty had six points, as I said, and really Telfitz 26 and Troutman's 13. That was really all Northeastern really had uh, for the whole game. So Northeastern obviously has got to get better. Uh, they will be playing a tough game at Providence on Saturday night at 8 o'clock. That will be on Fox Sports uh, 2, so FS2. That game will be broadcasted on at Providence. And then they'll be returning home next Wednesday at 7 o'clock uh, to play Harvard. And maybe I'll go to that game. Maybe I'll look into it. I will have class until 6.30 um, but or 5 o'clock, actually. Maybe I'll go to that game uh, versus Harvard at home. Uh, that would be a good game at Matthews Arena because after that, Northeast doesn't play a home game until Sunday, December 4th. And then after that, Sunday, December 18th, or Sunday, December 10th, at home versus Holy Cross. And then, really, the next games are go to really a second half game, second semester games. Uh, and a lot of those will be weekend games, Saturday nights, um, Saturday afternoons. They still have some Wednesday uh, midweek games. Uh, but for the most part, uh, a lot of those games uh, will be later on in the semester, later on you know, in the year, second semester. So if I don't go to that Harvard game next weekend, uh, next week, midweek, next Wednesday, the 16th. Uh, I don't know how many games for Northeast I will be going to in the first half of the season. So hopefully I'll make it to that. Obviously, Northeast will be traveling to London for the London Basketball Classic, uh, which will be playing against Manhattan uh, in the first game. The Manhattan Jaspers will be playing against on November 24th on Thursday. Uh, I believe that's Thanksgiving. I, From what I recall, that'll be Thanksgiving. Uh, and then also they'll be playing on the Saturday uh 
of the tournament, November 26th, against either Army or Princeton of that tournament. So that'll be exciting uh, before they travel to Georgia Tech for a tough ACC game on a Friday night at 7.30 on December 2nd. Uh, and then they will return home for a game against Georgia State on Sunday, December 4th at 2 p.m. That game will be at the same time that, uh, obviously, the Giants are probably playing on that day. So probably won't be watching that game uh, at Northeastern. But at the end of the day, I will be rooting for Northeastern always. Hopefully I make that game uh, next Wednesday against Harvard. Tough loss for them against BU, as I said last night. But hopefully uh, they recover on Saturday. That'll be a tough game against Providence. But hopefully they give them a game. Providence coming off a very good year last year, obviously making the tournament. I think they were four or five seed uh, at a very good year last year. So obviously Northeastern will have their work cut out for them uh, this coming week. Uh, weekend, Saturday, that'll be a tough game. But as for BC, they'll be playing Detroit Mercy. Uh, at 1 o'clock on Friday, Condi Forum. Detroit Mercy's up right now against the University of Rochester. 88-64. Uh, to uh, They're up big in this game, so it's not really a game uh, going on. They're up 24 points uh, with three minutes to go. Uh, one thing I was looking at is Detroit Mercy could score points last year. They scored points. I think one thing BC doesn't have to look out for is Detroit Mercy's best player from last year. who had a very good season in the 2021-2022 season. Antoine Davis. Shot 37.9% from three, 88.2% from the free throw line, 105 free throws made out of 119 attempts. So an excellent shooter. This kid shot 42.9% from the floor, 38% from three, 113 threes out of 298 attempts, 88% from the free throw line, average 3.6 rebounds per game, 127 assists overall, with 28 steals, a block, and 694 points, which overall is 23.9 points per game. That's one guy BC left to watch out for. And then also... Another thing is, this team struggled last year overall. They were 14-16, and 16, uh, but they were 9-1 at home, 5-15 and 15 on the road. And if you look at it, Detroit Mercy, BC will obviously be favored in that game. But these are games BC should win that they end up losing in the past. DePaul a few years ago, my freshman year, DePaul came in and blew BC out. And that was an upset win, uh, and BC ended up losing that game. But I think against Detroit Mercy, BC should get the win. Obviously, it's a new regime. Jim Christian's not here anymore. I like Jim Christian, obviously. A uh, good family guy at the end of the day. Uh, did not get the results he needed. But at the end of the day, also, he didn't really have the talent to work with. Earl Grant has a little more talent around him now than Jim Christian did in his tenure at BC. Obviously, BC had some first-round picks. Jerome Robinson was a first-round pick. And another draft pick uh, was Kai Bowman. So that's two draft picks right there. But besides that, they really didn't have much NBA talent uh, during that Jim Christian era. And now... DeMar Langford will probably be a second-round pick, and who knows what some of the other guys in the lineup look like. Uh, but at the end of the day, we'll see how things work out. But one guy to watch out for for Detroit Mercy is Antoine Davis. Averaged 23.9 points per game last year, as I said. And he's one guy BC will definitely have to keep an eye on uh, in this game on Friday at 1 o'clock. So now I'm going to try to get the sports guru Mike Hurley on. Right before I do that, I want to break down some Mac uh, football things. Ball State uh, is... Playing tonight against Toledo. Uh, Toledo is the home team. Ball State 5-4. Toledo 6-3 on the air. Uh, and Paddock, uh, John Paddock, the uh, quarterback for Ball State, is 3-8. 3 of 8 passing with 14 yards. He really hasn't done much. But Carson Steele, their star running back, who is, I believe, their offensive player of the week in the MAC, uh, is 7-35 for carries with a rushing touchdown uh, with also a catch with 2 yards. As for Toledo, Daquan Finn, their quarterback, 4 of 8 passing. Uh, for 25 yards and a passing touchdown. Also has two carries of 16 yards. Hit Jawan Thornton uh, for a touchdown in the first quarter. Uh, I believe, yes, first quarter, four catches of 36 yards and a touchdown for Newton uh, in the first quarter. So Jawan Newton obviously starting the game hot. 
uh, and also Carson Steele as well, uh, obviously tied the game up at the end of the first quarter uh, with a touchdown uh, with 29 seconds to go in the first. Uh, so 7-7 there, and then Eastern Michigan, 5-4 in the air playing Akron. Akron's the home team, 1-8 on the air. Eastern Michigan is 5-4 in the air, Akron 1-8. Eastern Michigan is up 24-14 at half uh, and has been dominating really overall. Uh, if you look at it, 248 yards to 190. Eastern Michigan's winning that battle. And if you look at it, another thing is Akron's really not had a good year, so high expectations really weren't there. But Eastern Michigan wins this game, they'll be both eligible. So obviously they want to win this game and uh, be in it. But Akron was only underdog by seven points. So that's pretty impressive considering they were one and eight and Eastern Michigan's five and four. Only underdogs uh, by seven points. But maybe that's because a lot of their losses have been close games in the MAC. So Bowling Green, they lost by three, 31 28 in week five on Saturday, October 1st. Then in week seven, lost 28 21 to Central Michigan in week seven. Week eight, lost 33 to 27 to Kent State uh, on Saturday, October 22nd. And then lost last week 29 or 27 to 9 against Miami, Ohio. So maybe it's because a lot of the games are close and these are home games. But at the end of the day, they are favored to lose these games, uh, favored to lose this game, and favored to lose a lot of the games, honestly, in general, uh, only having one win of the year. But uh, favored to lose that game tonight by seven points. So now I'm going to get the sports guru, Mike Hurley, to come on. And then also, uh, I will get Paul from Southie as well uh, on the show. So let's get the sports guru, Mike Hurley, on and see what he's got to say. And I apologize for the sniffling as well. Here he is, a sports guru, Mike Hurley, joining the podcast, joining the radio show. Thank you so much for coming on, Mike. How are we doing? Pretty good, pretty good. Happy to have you on. I'm going to get, actually, Paul from Southie on as well. So let me do that. Uh, before we get, get going, on. get them on. We get the whole squad on here. Why not, right? We got a lot to talk about. BC football obviously had a tough game against Duke, um, but not even just BC football. The Bruins have been playing great. Obviously, they have a whole situation going on with that Miller kid uh, and the whole bullying scandal. Uh, obviously, that wasn't a great look for the Bruins. But here we here we go. Yeah, Red, Red is there uh, doing great. You know, brutal. Hey, they're playing great in the ice at least, but. Obviously, uh, management made a bad decision there. We're trying to sign uh, Mitchell uh, or Mitchell Mill is his name, right? Something like that. Yeah, I'm not too really. I'm not really familiar with him. Um, he was drafted by like Arizona, Arizona Coyotes, fourth think, round pick. Yeah. So then, when they figured out, you know, more about his background, they cut him and. Definitely. Yeah, he had an uh, issue, obviously, in the past uh, with bullying issues. He was uh, bullying. I believe it was a disabled teammate. Uh, from reports and I don't even think he was a teammate. I think he was just a student. At was the a school. student or something like that? Maybe yeah, a just student. a classmate or something. Maybe yeah. it was a maybe it was a classmate. Maybe you're right. Um, not really too sure. As I said, I don't know too much about the story. But at the end of the day, had some allegations against him for that, uh, and obviously ruined his chances of playing for the Coyotes. Coyotes end up cutting him and cutting ties with him, and then the Bruins end up signing him, which goes against obviously all the values that the Bruins hold themselves by. So, not a great look for the Bruins. But at the end of the day, end up cutting him and. Uh, obviously, Sweeney uh, and management of the Jacobs family has some explaining to do. But here he is, Paul from Southie, joining the podcast. How are we doing, Paul? What's up, man? Good to be. You, you broke out for a second, though, but how are we doing? Mm-hmm. Having a good night. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Doing well. We got the sports guru, Mike Hurley, on Pretty, as well. Good thing we have some uh, sports to talk about. There's no sports to watch tonight. Nothing to watch unless you want to watch uh, the Mac football like me. It's about the it. Curling or something. Unless you want to watch back football. So I'm going to start out with this. So obviously we talked about the whole Miller issue. 
Obviously, it's not great for the Bruins. Signing the kid, obviously, had some issues in the past. That's not what the Bruins hold themselves by. Their standards, their values, obviously, are much higher than that uh, in supporting the kid, especially with all those issues yeah, in the past. Yeah, I heard, um, you know, a lot of the guys on the team, the high-character guys like Bergeron, Foligno. They Crazy. Want, they didn't, yeah, they didn't want to bring him in. Um, and then on Velger and Maz, you hear that, you know, people call him, they say, Sweeney tried to get this guy. I mean, if you look up his points, I, I tried to look at, you know, what's he done in hockey. He... he has a lot of points scored for a defenseman. I think he's a defenseman. It was like 85 points in 60 yeah. games or something. But in the USHL. Um, but he's even had issues with hockey teams getting kicked off for similar, you know, character mishaps. But I think that's the thing. If think- you're not drafting high caliber guys, essentially, you're looking to scrape and claw for a talent that's a little more, like, dicey. You Definitely. Know, off-ice issues. I mean, even the kid they drafted, Lysel... The only reason he dropped in the draft was apparently that he's got a big ego or something. I don't know. He seems like a fine guy. Yeah. I, I mean, this kid, uh, Mitchell Miller, though, like you said, he's talented defensive. 39 goals, 44 assists, 83 points in 60 games from the Tri-City Storm in the USHL this past year. Uh, so he puts up a lot of points for a defenseman. But like you said, those character issues definitely outweigh that. And obviously the Bruins made a bad decision trying to bring him in. But like you said, it's a good thing the locker room stayed put with not supporting it. Yeah. So I guess you see a guy like yeah, D- Tony D'Angelo there, a little, little bit similar, probably not quite as bad, but, you know, yeah. puck-moving defenseman, scoring type of guy, but then he gets moved, he gets, you know, they didn't keep him down in Carolina, he's on the Flyers this year. You're right, yeah, I mean, I think it's a good thing for the Bruins locker room that they all stood up against it, and the whole city of Boston was against it too, there were so many Bruins fans that were against it, obviously had a lot of backlash, and that ended up causing the Bruins to cut him on Sunday, um, but... Uh, I just well, don't think it's a good in-season move either, I mean... Was he realistically going to get on the big club this year and make an impact? I mean, you still got McAvoy waiting in the wings, and you got yeah, you, you got our boy cap issues. Like, <laughs> you're right, you're right. You got McAvoy down, obviously still hurt, but McAvoy will be back at some point. You got your boy Grizzly back in the lineup, so the Bruins are going to need any help at the defense mid position except McAvoy whenever he's back. And they probably they probably have to figure out a way to get rid of like a, a Mike Riley or somebody who makes three million bucks. Definitely, um, that's a move they have so. to make. Um, one thing I want to get your opinion on, both of you guys, obviously we were at that BC-Duke football game on Friday night. BC ended up losing that game 38-31. What is a positive that you have from that game? Mine's Emmett Moorhead played pretty well, actually, four touchdowns, 330 yards. Uh, obviously, BC's now 2-7 and seven on this, so not many positives. But if you've got a positive outlook on that game, maybe the offense at least scored some points, 31. I mean, only scored three against UConn. Is Phil, I'll say this. Did Phil Dracovic lose his job? I think the only positive you could say really is Moorhead. Maybe Joe Griffin had five catches for 103 yards, two touchdowns, but there's not many positives. So I kind of answer that question on its own. Do you think Dracovic lost his job? I'll start with Paul from Southeast. I think Paul, yeah. I think Paul's going to chime in. um I, I would not put Phil on the bench after j- just this one game. However, I was impressed with the three freshmen, I believe. Uh, Moorhead, the freshman, he, he threw a couple of deep balls right on the um, right in the money, yeah. Was Joe Griffin, the wideout, caught at least one touchdown. Two. Five catches, 103 yards, two touchdowns. Two touchdowns. And then Broom, a group, right? Uh, Alex Broom, four catches, 25 yards, 10 carries, 49 yards. Pretty good game. So I think there's something to build on for next year. I, I was somewhat impressed with Moorhead's uh, mobility, and I thought he, he threw the deep ball pretty well. He did throw a couple of but um. I'm sure experience will uh, will help cure that, but um, I think the offense put in 30-plus points uh, was certainly a surprise. 
Definitely, yeah. I mean, BC was in the game at the end of the day. I know, obviously, the score might be a little deceiving, 38-31, but uh, one thing BC struggled with was stopping Riley Leonard, a Daniel Jones-esque quarterback on Duke. 16-24 passing, 158 passing yards, a touchdown. But on the ground is what the issue was. Dirty uh, yeah, carries, they had their running yards back scooted in from like 23 yards out, I yep. think. Jaquez Moore. Def- that, that was the demoralizing touchdown. Jaquez Moore, 15 carries, 82 yards, two touchdowns. And then Jordan Waters, 11 carries, 51 yards, and a touchdown. If you look at it, they had 232 rushing yards to BC 75. Uh, and that was the difference in the game right there. But what about you, Mike? Do you think Jakovic lost his job? Did Phil lose his job? You call Phil the uh, well, with a record. So I know you're a big Phil guy. Did Phil lose his job? Uh, I, I was higher on Phil before. His stocks dropped, even my opinion of him. Um, even when he was first on the team, I thought, you know, he's got the the physical traits. Like, he's got the arm. He's big, strong. He could move then. But he was never great in the pocket, even against, like, a three-man, four-man rush when we had a good line. Now we've got a suspect line, and he's just – he takes too many hits and – you know, it's the line, but it's also him. So he makes Aaron throws. I just don't know. I think we were talking during the game, like Phil used to be considered a top three round quarterback prospect. Now it's like, will he even get, he'll get drafted just because of his measurables? That's about it. Sixth round measurables. Yeah, right. I agree with you. I agree. With I'd you. rather have Bailey Zappi. Bailey Zappi. All right, so we. Uh, so that's another thing we can talk about. Obviously, we'll get into the pages for a second. Uh, but really quick before we move off the BC football topic, they will be heading this weekend to NC State. Tough game, NC State, 17th in the country, 72 on the year. BC's 19.5 point underdogs. NC State. They covered. They covered against Duke. They did. They did cover against Duke. They did cover, what was it, 10.5? They covered even without that. I think it was 13.5. 13.5, maybe. Closing line might be 13.5. Uh, Opening line has 19.5, but NC State beat Wake Forest this past weekend, 30 to 21. MJ Morris, a quarterback, 18 to 28, 210 yards, three passing touchdowns, and he also could run 19 carries, 43 yards. BC, I think, is going to struggle in this game. What are you guys' predictions for this weekend? I think if I had to put a score on it, I'd put probably 41-17 NC State. That might be being generous. It's getting 17 points. Paul from Southie, what do you think? If I was a bet man, I'd have to lay the points. I, I would think the offense is going to struggle. NC State's always defense. We remember Bradley Chubb when they came up. Um, I think the offense have definite problems moving the ball. And I think their quarterback. Uh, MJ Morris is their quarterback. But back in the day when they were there, it was Ryan Finley. Yeah, okay. But I, I thought they had the, the, the guy who started this year when they, had, they were in the top ten. What's his name like? Uh, Devin Leary. Devin Leary, yeah. Devin Leary. Oh, he's out. But I think he's hurt. They still probably score enough points. As, as as we saw Duke run all over us last week, I would think they're going to score too much. Um, you want a prediction? I'll give you a 35 to 14. 35 to 14. Okay. Uh, MVP, what do you got? Yeah, I, I think yeah, that's probably right. Probably something like 35-14. Just when does NC State lose interest on offense, maybe? Um, yeah. and, and college teams do not do well on the road. Like You see all these teams go on the road. Like that uh, Tennessee-Georgia game, I knew Georgia was going to win that game at home. I had Tennessee. Big opponent. Tennessee, when they hosted Alabama, you knew it was an uphill battle for Bama because they're on the road. Like Teams don't win games against quality opponents on the road. I, it's right. a shock when they do in college. You're right. I was, I was interested in that game. I thought Tennessee was actually going to be – a lot of times he would win the game, no. but uh, obviously Georgia ended up showing it. Well, and then what, Bama lost to LSU, right? So Bama lost to LSU. Do you think Bama Bama's probably out of the cultural playoff now, right? No they're chance. Out. They're out. Yeah. Clemson I mean, lost to Notre Dame. What, what's going on there? 
Notre Dame needs that. Three quarterback issues, right? Sweeney said that. He, well, he likes that freshman. Yeah, he does. He likes that freshman. I mean, he might be better. That's DJ, a tough loss on their schedule. I mean, ACC team, you pretty much have to go undefeated. Definitely. I mean, Evan, they fell to 12th in the rankings. Uh, DJ Uwangalele had a bad game, 191 passing yards, touchdown, a pick. Uh, Notre Dame was dominant in the run game. I mean, if you look at it, rushing yards, uh, they led 263 to 90 in rushing yards, which is nuts. Uh, so they were all over. Clemson, obviously, physical. won that game yeah. with three touchdowns. Uh, but in that Tennessee-Georgia game, I don't know. I thought Georgia was I thought, I, I thought, I thought Georgia was good. I thought Georgia was good. I thought Tennessee was the better team. Uh, and obviously, Georgia ended up showing they're the better team in by more, one by two touchdowns. So maybe Georgia is the big dog. They, they had the dog. game in hand, too, right? Some turnovers and everything. It was like 27-6 at one point. Yeah, end up closing 27-13. Um, but uh, Stats have been a good game, 257, two touchdowns. My boy handed Hooker. I think he's the best quarterback in the country. Um, I like Hooker the most. Uh, didn't he's also like 25. <laughs> didn't have the best game, 195 passing out of the touchdown. Uh, no touchdowns, actually. A pick and 18 carries to 17 yards, nothing. Obviously, a lot of those are sacks and stuff, but uh, Factor in, he did not have the best game. Uh, but turnovers-wise, can't turn the ball over against Georgia. They're going to score. Um, and obviously they actually probably have, a, they probably have a good shot at the playoff. Tennessee? Because uh, Georgia will win. They'll probably win out, win the SEC championship. So that means whoever comes out of that SEC West is going to have another loss. And so if Tennessee finishes up with just that one loss to Georgia, a number one team, they'll, they'll be all right. Yeah, I'm with you there. Uh, what do you think, Paul, from Southie, though? What do you think of, obviously, Clemson losing Notre Dame, Bama losing uh, this past weekend as well to LSU, Ohio State barely beating it. I mean, they were like 14 against Northwestern, and then you obviously had Georgia beating Tennessee by 14. Uh, what do you think of any of those games? I think Mike's got a good point that the home field to make a big difference. The crowd just keeps alive, fighting. It seems like more than... I mean, I... I so I expect Tennessee to be so impressed with their offense that I've seen all year. Hooker, they're moving the ball, you know, thirty plus a game, and then they go, and they struggle the ball. You're right. Uh, yeah, they did score thirty yeah, plus a game better, most better games. Than that, they were they were averaging more like forty two a game going they, into that. Yeah, they scored thirty I plus told, always. I told my friend, yeah, the, it's going to look like. 40, 50, 40, 50, and then when they play Georgia, it's going to be about seven. <laughs> what a draw. It was close. You're right, though. No, that's not a bad point. Two on Alabama? Yeah. Elef- uh, what, I mean, yeah, didn't they Didn't they score like four points on Alabama? Something like that, yeah. I think it was, yeah. 50, think it was 50. 52, yeah. 50. Oh, my God. Yeah, so all props to Georgia. I mean, the, the, prop, the dog is right. Uh, as far as Clemson goes, I was surprised that pushed them around the way they did. Although, when we looked at the heights a couple of weeks ago, it was a game at half. That's right. Uh, you know, second half, like three touchdowns. So, maybe there was a you know, you can move Clemson, uh, even though I've been struggled. But Notre Dame is impressive, and uh, BC will certainly be when we go out to the you think BC was struggling? You said, I'm sorry, you broke up for a second there, but... Yeah, it's going to be a tough game when we fake. They can run the ball like they did against... They're going to run all over. Just the same with Duke. Yeah, Duke ran all over us. So you're right, if no team were to do that same thing, uh, just they, they won that battle there against uh, Clemson running the ball. Uh, that would obviously be tough for BC. Uh, but at the end of the day, one thing I want to bring up, um, 
about college football and everything. We were talking, obviously, BC being 2-7 and seven now. Do you guys think Jeff Halfley will remain the BC head coach going into next year? Before we move off college football, I wanted to ask that. Yeah. I do. I think it's too quick a hook if you want to bounce out. I mean, what's this? Even though we, we take a step backwards, um, what's this, his third complete year? Third, 2020, 2021, 2022. The COVID year was 2020, so COVID second big year. Is, you know, production, but I got to give him another year easy. The offensive line, we, we all knew it was suspect from day one. He never found a solution, okay? Caused the offense to really struggle because we thought Phil was a, like Mike said, a third round draft pick. We know Zay's a pick of all conference, and yet we struggled to score a point. Gawo has been on this year. He had a really good year conference last year, maybe second team. So, but again, the offensive line, having them all go, a lot of them were drafted. Then Mahogany before the season started. We just didn't have time to fix it on the fly. They're all young kids. Um, Trapillo, all, all young kids. I think if they, at least another year, if he can improve. I agree with you. I reiterate what you said there. Um, obviously, Mahogany, big injury, losing him. Uh, and a couple other injuries, BC lost. She just a lot early in the year. Tough loss there. Obviously, losing all those guys on the offensive line to the draft uh, or, you know, mm-hmm. draft signings. Yeah, well, Zion Johnson was like a first-round pick. Zion Johnson, first-round pick. And then the rest of them, Vrabel going to the league, signing, and uh, Petrua signing elsewhere, and uh, Alec Lindstrom signing. That's a big That's a big good amount of losses right there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I would agree too. I, I think you have to, you have to give a coach, you know, another. You got to give him at least four or five years. I think, especially at a school like BC, it's not like, you know, the in-state recruiting is is meager here compared to a place like a Texas or Florida. You know, if you if you bring in a new coach to Texas, and in four years your program's gone in the tank, you can get a new coach, and you know if he's recruiting well in state, he can get the program back up and running, but. I think you got to let Halfley keep doing what he's started at this point. You know, he supposed, supposedly had a good recruiting class, so they're right. only freshmen, right? So. Yeah. Uh, if you look at the BC just paid him as well. Uh, in November 2021, former AD, now Pat Kraft is gone, gave him a new five-year deal, getting around $3 million per season through the 2026 season. So he's not probably leaving just because of that money, I'd imagine. You can't get rid of him really that quick. <laughs> Getting more than a million dollars a win. Literally, yeah, he's only got two on the year. And UMaine, hey, you know, we're all big UMaine fans here. Yeah. Hey, at least they get at least they get the wins on home field. Maybe they can surprise and get another couple wins. Yeah, I mean it's still three games after the season. Maybe you just want to see progress. Obviously we still have one more at home and uh that should be a good game, obviously against Syracuse. Uh Syracuse having a really good year. Um so now we'll move on really quick. They've been losing games though. Literally. Syracuse has been losing games. Ever, ever since they, you know, lost that undefeated streak there. Weren't they like five and zero though at one point? I think so, but they lost to uh, Clemson. Really, they lost this past week. Lost Clemson, Notre Dame, and Pittsburgh. Yeah, three straight actually. Wow, that's, that's a skid. But yeah, I haven't checked out six and three on the year though. Mm-hmm. So maybe they're struggling. Actually. I haven't really checked in too much of them. They're running back only had ten carries and nineteen yards this past week. Sean Tucker, he's good. Shot nine car- ten carries and nineteen yards against Pittsburgh. Wow, Pitt was good. Um, now move on to the NFL though. Want to talk the Patriots? While we're talking Patriots, we're going to talk about the Colts, uh, which is great. Patriots ended up beating the Colts this past weekend in a blowout. Uh, but and let it be known that the Colts beat the Chiefs this year. 
Colts did beat the Chiefs. <laughs> they also did just fire Frank Reich. Uh, obviously, Frank Reich ended his tenure with the Patriot uh, with the Colts. Twenty six to three, Patriots lose that game. Uh, you know, beat the Colts in that game. Colts lose that game. That ended up getting him fired. But what are you guys' opinions on the Reich firing? What are your opinions on Jeff Saturday being the interim head coach? ESPN analyst, former center for the Colts, legendary football player. I like him in the booth a lot. You know, talking football. Now he's their head coach. What are you guys' opinions on the firing and the hiring? Start with I, I, think sports that, didn't, I think Frank Reich just doesn't want to be a tank commander. Yeah. And Ursay Ursay wants them to tank or something. I, apparently he won't let them play Matt Ryan because if he gets hurt, he's due full guaranteed money next season too or something. Yeah, like, he's getting a lot. He's 40 million, million, bucks. 48 million dollar cap hit this year. Eight on the Colts, 40 on the Falcons cap hit this year, which is nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think of the Jeff Saturday hiring, uh, Mike? I I don't know. I, I, it seems like he's just a name for them because he was a you know he's in the ring of honor or whatever, and he was a O lineman for Peyton, Super Bowl champ. I bet. Apparently, he's a friend of Ursay too, the owner there. So, yeah, I, I mean, you can't expect much from him. He's probably going to come in, new coach. He's going to be expected to lose. Yeah, I think that's probably what he's doing. He doesn't care. He wants to tank, like you said. Um, uh, I'll get mid-season pump. taking over an NFL team, a bunch of like grown men in there who. They don't want to. While he's working for the ESPN, he's doing analyst stuff yesterday and then just gets hired. Like, what are we doing? And apparently they tried to bring him on the staff as, like, an O-line coach. He didn't want to do it, so. Now head coach. This is going to be a money thing for him, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, if he really had serious head coaching aspirations before, yeah. you get on a staff somewhere doing what you know, and then you can build your way up. You're right. Because actually, O-line coach is a decent job to then become offensive coordinator. You're right. Because you're in charge of, like, you know, five to seven guys at a time. You're right. No, it's an important job. Offensive line's huge, especially today's day in the NFL. But uh, what do you think, Paul, though? What do you think of the firing of Frank Reich and then also the hiring of Jeff Saturday? Well, it, it goes in line with the uh, issue. Uh, I think Frank Reich, he's a great coach. I mean, I, I give him the most credit. A lot of credit with him. He just beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl. That's right. Yeah. He was the offensive coordinator of um, quarterbacks coach and got the most out of who played that year until he got hurt and then he has Nick, Nick Folk what's his he had Nick Foles was his quarterback when he was on the oh, Eagles yeah. and then also he did get a, a Super Bowl out of the Eagles obviously being there off the coordinator uh, and then also like you said he was great with Carson Wentz last year 27 touchdowns somehow he, he's, I, I think he's a real good coach yeah, he's at least a good offensive coordinator, you know. Yeah, but you know, they brought in. I thought for sure the Colts were going to make a, you know, maybe a deep run in the playoffs. They were coming yeah. off, you know, they, they should have made the playoffs. Lost to Jacksonville in the last game of the year. It's freaking that Ryan still looked good last year. I was shocked that, that they this year. Um, I don't know if, if the run back was hurt. You know, the one back front and Taylor might have been hurt, but. Oh, the offensive line's been brutal. The offensive line's yeah. been toast, and Taylor looks like he's toast. Taylor's looking like he's aged yeah. three years. Matt has a look games that I've seen him play. He threw more picks than I've ever seen him throw. Um, so that's disappointing. So, Ursay probably had to make a move. Uh, but, but to bring in Jeff Sapp, that is that is a surprise to me. You know, no experience. He's not going to turn this team around. So, I think Mike, Mike might be onto something. This will help them lose games because no one's going to expect that miracle worker. They're going to just going to fall right to the top and, and hopefully get a top draft. If they I think that's what they're doing going for quarterback in the draft. Obviously, there's five quarterbacks in the CS draft Anthony Richardson, CJ Stroud, 
Bryce Young, uh, uh, the Hooker, Levis right? kid, Will Levis from Kentucky, and then uh, Hendon Hooker. Hooker's going to be in there. Hendon Hooker from Tennessee. So maybe they're going for that. I mean, Frank Reich isn't a bad coach. 40-33 and one was his record. 40 wins, 30 lost a tie with the Colts. One and two in the playoffs. I don't think he's a bad coach at all. Uh, like you guys said, I think maybe they're just tanking. And I don't know about the Jeff Saturday thing. I think it is probably a tanking thing. And maybe it's just because he's friends with Ursay and he was just like, here, you want a job? Take Who's it. The, um, the Panthers interim coach, right? Uh, Ursay? No, the Panthers. Didn't they fire Matt Rule? They did fire they Matt did. Rule. They did. There's other jobs. He'll, he'll get a job somewhere. Oh, well, Frank Reich definitely will. I'm I mean, sorry. Frank, I what, he, Frank he Reich will. He collect his money without working right now. 200000 yeah. a game or something, right? Something like that. 200000 a week. For like the next like six years or something. Five years. <laughs> He'll get picked up probably next year sometime after the couple of firings on uh, Monday. After. Yeah, Black Monday next year they fire everyone. He'll probably get hired right away, I'd imagine. He might even get hired now, mid-season. You never know. You never know. If your boy Josh yeah. McDaniels gets fired, Mike. Yeah, the Raiders seem to know how to gas guys, but they'll probably let McDaniels get a quarterback, you know, before they fire him. I feel bad for the Raiders, I- though. I... They just have no luck. No luck. L- listen to this. The Raiders' first-round picks from 2019 to 2021. I saw this today. Clement Farrell, they took third overall, fourth overall in 2019. They shouldn't have. Fifth-year option declined. Disney plays. You know, backup. John, Josh Jacobs, 2019 first-round pick. Fifth-year option declined. Having a good year, though. 2019 first-round pick. Jonathan Abrams, they just cut today. Jonathan Abram, they cut today. Damon Arnett was a first-round pick in 2020. They cut him. 2020, another first-round pick, Henry Ruggs. They cut him. Both those guys off the field. Legal issues for Ruggs and Arnett. And in 2021, Alex Leatherwood, first-round pick. They cut. That's six first-round picks since 2019 that they've cut or declined their option because they were all busts. Or not worth it, I guess, Jacobs' case. But everyone else was a bust. So that's the problem. They grab guys off of, like, you know, there's three on Bama, one on Clemson. Like, they're from top-tier schools. You'd think first-round picks from those schools would be good, but... Good point. I, I think three we first-round picks at Clemson. Farrell, Farrell went above. At Ohio State. Dexter Lawrence, Christian Wilkins, a bunch of guys on his own team, so... He did. It was he a reach. It was just... He was the guy getting sacked because he was the flashy speed guy around the edge, but it doesn't always translate to the NFL. You're right. No, they they, they really been struggling with their draft picks. Um... Patriots, though, big win this past weekend, so we're talking about the Patriots a little bit. Mac Jones, I mean, we didn't have the best game. He had a good game, though, a touchdown. Uh, a win's a win, I guess. A win's a win. Now are you off the Z- Zappy train, or are you still on it? Three and uh, four. Three, no. Patriots are four I mean, and one in their last five. Yeah. I, well, this is their recipe for winning is this. Play defense, sack the quarterback a bunch, get short fields, kick field goals. Once they get up by, you know, nine – the other team starts going for it on fourth downs and making poor decisions on offense. You're right. And then they run up the score a little bit in the second half. I mean, they also got a pick six. They got a pick six against, I don't know, how many do they have this year? Three, four? Three, like, I think. They've, they've got enough defensive scores. They blocked a punt. So they when the defense and special teams play well, they win. But the offense, just the passing game's anemic. They can't really block. Yeah, I mean, I, the, I, there was a stat. I guess the Patriots had what seventy-five rushing yards. Yeah, sixty-five were yards after contact. So I mean, so the running backs getting hit like right when they get the ball. Basically, it's what Saquon dealt like with last year. <laughs> That's what we did in high school. <laughs> it's what Saquon dealt with last year. Now you see. Well, um, Andre's doing well. But. 
Yeah, it's definitely a good idea. 15 kills, 60 yards. I think it was. I just saw that graphic. Uh, just saw that stat. But I want to ask Paul, though, is just is his uh, opinion on the Giants this weekend playing the Texans, coming off the bye. Obviously, Xavier McKinney get hurt. Bad news. Uh, what do you think about the Giants this weekend, though? Well, I, I hope they play uh, you know their best game because I'm sure they got a talent advantage. However, the defense got to tighten up because that running back I saw, he ran all over the Eagles last Thursday night. Damien Pierce. Uh, yeah, so uh, we we haven't been great against the run this year. So I think if we can control under the quarterback is Davis Webb. Davis yep. Webb. Mills. Yeah. Davis Mills. Mills. Webb's the judge backup. I'm hoping our offense can catch fire and maybe light it up at 27, 30 points, which I know they're capable of. Um, you know, they score much better than they did last week. Jones doesn't turn the ball Saquon's got to be top three running backs as far as production so far. So I expect the Giants have a very good offensive and hopefully can contain that runner on um, Houston and the back by a couple of touchdowns. What do you think? I got the Giants winning as well. I think my both predictions, I have two for this game. The last time the Giants scored 30 offensive points in a game was December 22nd, 2019 against Washington. They won that game 41-35. You were actually, you know, at the Christmas party playing Santa. That game we were up by whatever we were at half. We were up by 27-something, right? At half-something nuts. Uh, that was a different game. No, we – hold on. That was 2018, that game in the Christmas party. Uh when they were up 40 to 16, they won the game. The Giants were up 35 nothing and a half, but 34 nothing and a half, whatever it was. 2019 was the last time the Giants scored, though, 40, 30 points in a game on offense against Washington, won that game 41 35. That was the overtime game. Then the Giants ended up winning. The Giants fell from the second pick to the fourth pick. Obviously, second pick ended up being Chase Young going to Washington. Fourth pick, Giants got Andrew Thomas. I think it worked out for us. Daniel Jones had a five-touchdown game that game. Beautiful day, beautiful game for the Giants. Uh, but the last time we scored 30 points in the game in general, October 11, 2020, we scored 34 in a loss to Dallas, 37-34. We had a pick six that game from Kyle Fackrell. My bold prediction of this game, I have two. Giants scoring 30 points. We win the game 34-20, uh, I think my prediction was. Second bold prediction, Kenny Galladay, first touchdown was a Giant. About time, huh? For all He's still looking for his first one. First touchdown for a giant. He's looking like Mike. What's your prediction <clears throat> for the game? But you're a big Damian Pierce guy. Uh, well, the way I would predict a, a low score for the game, like not like thirteen ten, but something below fifty combined, just because I think Texans their best player is the running back, so they run him twenty plus times a game. Isn't Cooks like? Holding out, still holding out injury and personal reasons. So yeah, he's he's sour about not getting traded or something. Um, yep. But the Giants, their their run game's the strength of their offense right now with Saquon and Jones. So with both teams being running teams, usually the clock drains faster, so you get lower scores. True. Yeah, you're right. So I mean, they could still. I think Giants probably win, like, but probably more like a twenty-eight, twelve or something. You guys both predicted low-scoring games against Seattle a couple weeks ago now, and you guys are both right about that. That was a low-scoring game. So, yeah. you guys were on point. That was a 27-22 loss to Seattle, right? Because it's just going to limit the number of possessions, you know. And if you don't have a high-flying passing game, you're not going to put up 30. And then if the Giants get ahead, they're just going to run it even more. 27-13, the Giants lost to Seattle. <clears> um, <throat> but it still technically wasn't. My prediction was high-scoring, so... 40 points total, very low scoring. Um, the Giants are six and a half point favorites, though. So that's impressive, considering we're favorite. Favorite. we're not a favorite. It's a home game, right? Home game. I'm going. MetLife. Right. 
I'll be there. So it should be a good game. Uh, hopefully, I see some Giants touchdowns. The How's the weather? That's the next thing we need. Can you throw? Let me see. Yeah, let's check it out. Let me it turn windy? the weather. It gets windy at MetLife, right? You're right. No, it does. It does. I mean, it gets cold. It's cold there when I was there in December of 2019. Uh, that was tough. Let me see. Um, but, yeah, I think the Giants win this game. Uh, obviously, who knows? Can't really hold the Giants, too. We, lo- we lose a lot of games we should win. Uh, but I think sometimes teams, team. sometimes offenses are sluggish coming out of a bye. Like, didn't the Chiefs just have a bye and then they're yeah. going down the wire 17-17 against the Tennessee Titans. Titans at home? 50 degrees for a high, 37 for a low on Sunday. Sunny, no rain. 68 Friday, Saturday. That's nice. That means Good I'm going to be able to Friday, Saturday in New York. Beautiful. Friday said if it's raining in New York on Friday, it's not great. That's exciting. Um, anyways, though, so I got that prediction on that uh, on you guys' thoughts there. Um, and then one last thing we'll talk about for you know whatever we do to close. I talked some college hockey, so I talked BC hockey. Obviously, now they play Northeastern Friday, Saturday. The games on ESPN Plus now, so it's really hard to follow a lot. Of Maybe one of these games this weekend will be on Nesson, which would be nice. But uh, BC hockey plays Northeastern this weekend. I'm upset. I'm missing both games because I, I love going to those games. Obviously, BC Northeastern. Uh, it's obviously great. It's obviously a great battle uh, always. And I know both of you guys are BC hockey guys, so you're not going to sound me on Northeastern being nice. Uh, but at the end of the day, that's fine. Uh, you guys had any predictions for the game? Even if you're not following, do they split? Do they do? Does Northeastern take two out of the two? Does BC take two out of? The, I know my dad definitely gets to all of them, so uh, we'll get his first. Uh, I think a split for BC would be a good thing. What do you think, Paul? I would definitely take a split because. Uh... You know, we haven't really shown a lot of great flashes just yet, and I know that these they brought back a lot of talent from last year's team that went pretty deep. So uh, I'd be happy with the split, Joe. Okay, I'm with that. I think they just lost two in a row to Merrimack, so I think a split would be a good thing for BC. Uh, they could just find a way to do that. What do you think, Mike? A split? It's it's first first night. It's at Matthews. So seven o'clock Friday at Matthews. Sometimes Saturday, sometimes I like the uh, the away team to sneak out the first game. Yeah, so. BC did that last year to Northeastern, actually. The yeah, Friday game, yeah. they beat Northeastern at Matthews. And Especially Northeastern in, in hockey, you see a lot more road victories, I think. So. Yeah, you're not wrong about that. Um, yeah, it could be road teams split it. I, I mean, I hope BC can capitalize if they win the first night, but... They, I mean, Usually the team that loses one game, especially if they lose at home, they get fired up for the next game. So. You're right. And obviously this would be, BC, this would be <laughs> BC's second night game of the year because they've had two day games. So this would be a cool game Saturday night. Seven o'clock. Their home opener was a Friday night game against Quinnipiac, I believe, and then after that, this is their uh, next home game. That's a night game, and then they don't have another home game. That's a night game for a while. So, um, hopefully, it's a good game. Obviously, I'm rooting uh, for Northeastern, but at the end of the day, should be a good one. But um, one last thing I want to talk about is the Red Sox, Xander Bogats. We've talked about this before. Final predictions before free agency really gets going. Is he staying? Is he not? What do you guys think? I hope he stays. I, I I don't know if anyone's going to give him, like I said, probably the last time. I mean, he can't be getting Carlos' career money, which is like thirty five for you know for per year. His production just isn't isn't that good enough. However, I mean, he's like the face of the franchise, probably the longest tenured player right now. He is. Vasquez was, and then Vasquez gone, so he is. Yeah. So, I, I would I would do whatever I could, John Henry, to keep this guy in town, and you know whatever the 
you know, whatever the deal it would take to keep him here. I'm thinking, what's he like, 31 years old? 30. No, he's 20s, right? 29, he turning 30 by next yeah, season. 30, maybe 30, mid-season. 30. I could give him five or seven years, you know, whatever it took it, like maybe 30 a year. I mean, he's 20 now. How much of a raise does he need? No, he somewhat took a hometown discount his last contract. That's why he's only making, if he stayed, he's only making 20 million a year for three years. That sounds like yeah. a low ball. Okay. So you gotta, you gotta bump him up and give him a raise, but I can't go over 30 here. He's 30 years old flat right now. He just turned it October right, 1st. So what, what's going from going 20 million to 30 million a year? You know, I mean, so maybe the question how many years you're giving. Yeah, and he also home run numbers down for only 15 this past year, but the average is still at 307. What do you think, Mike? Uh, I mean, I like Xander, so he, and he's a fan favorite guy. Yeah, but money wise, I don't know. I don't know enough comparables in MLB contracts, but um, Mayo well, thinks 30 a year. I'd give him 30 a year. That's probably what he's looking for, um, especially considering Correa just opted out of his three-year 105 contract. He's up for the gold, up for the gold club. He's a, good, he's a good guy. He's a good, great great hitter, too. He, he is. But one thing on numbers are down. It's all right. He's the shortstop. Top five batter again. Yeah, three or seven yeah, it, batter. It would be a different – you wouldn't worry about Xander's home run numbers if we had Schwarber on the team this year hitting 45. and <laughs> story getting 30. And Devin's maybe giving you know, 35, you got, yeah. It's just like if you're seeking other power hitters on the team – and you look down up and down the lineup, and the best two hitters on the team are Devers and Bogarts. And Bogarts is really just a contact guy. And Devers being out a good portion of the year, JD, his power numbers are down. Yep. They maybe it's the down. dead balls. Yep. Maybe it's the dead baseballs. Who knows? They definitely, yeah, they took the juice out of them, that's for sure. But uh, one thing I'm looking but at. Then again, Judge hit 62 bombs. So. And that's another thing I'm going to get to. Before we get to Judge really quick, uh, before we transition there to Judge, which that's another thing I was going to ask you. I was reading, Judge ends up. With Bogart, so I don't know if they keep him because now I'm looking at this. You have Story at second base or shortstop for the future. You have Marcelo Maya coming yeah, up. Gotta, doesn't he have like an arm thing? Like He, he does have a really, wrist injury. How's he going to hold up at short? Fractured wrist because he took a ball off the hand, right, May? Uh, yeah, he had uh, an elbow. But maybe something both. like that. Forearm? <laughs> yeah, he missed a lot of time. Um, but one thing I'm looking at there is you have Story playing the middle of the infant, whether it's second or short. And then you look at it, you have Marcelo Maya coming up at some point, fourth overall pick in the draft in 2020, coming up at some point in the next couple, in 2021 it was, coming up at some point. You have Nick York, a second baseman, coming up at some point in the next two years. I don't know if they keep going up the 70 deal. Cass is third and first. Cass is, he's playing first base probably, and then you'll keep Devin as a third, and then that leaves Dahlbeck an odd man out, and Eric Hosmer an odd man out for this I year. Mean, I don't think you're to worry about those guys. They don't hit like... Like Devers, Cassis, and Xander. I mean, you keep the bats on the whole <laughs> Yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, so that's, that's another what thing. I was going to say about those save opportunities. I'm surprised the Red Sox even had that many save opportunities with I know. a paltry offense. Like, Isn't that nuts? What do you guys think? So what do you guys think is the number one, besides Devers, Bogots, pitching. number one priority for the Red Sox? Is it pitching? Yes. I mean, it could be even first base. I think first base is a big need, too, if maybe Cassis yeah, is the answer. Um, well, well, does Cassis play first? Plays yeah. first. Plays first, just, but is going to be Is Hosmer still on the team? Is, no. Exactly. Is he still a full time? <laughs> Hosmer is still on the team, but is Cassis your full time solution? I mean, he didn't hit I, I, mean, average, I feel better about first base going into this year than I did last. Than you did year. last. I get that. So I, I think you, you need bullpen help and maybe even rotation help. Outfield help still maybe. But what do you think, Paul? <laughs> what would you go with the biggest need for the Red Sox? Is it starting pitching, relief pitching, catching's a need now. 
All those are true, though, but I'd probably start with pitching. I mean, I, I think I might lose Nathan Valdi, who was pretty much, uh, what was he, a number one for most of the year? When he Three was, or four years, he number one at Sale being injured, yep. I love this Valdi, but it might be time that he's going to want more money than the Red Sox are willing to give him. Uh, years, you know, length of the contract. So you got to go out and make a run, you know, maybe DeGrom or Indigard. You got to bring in some top of the rotation guys. Um, Assuming that you can keep Bello up all year. Or yeah, Bello, yeah, he's a beast. But he's not going to be a top two guy. He's Probably like a three a or four. Guy at best. Probably three or four. guy for sure. I mean, Whitlock, still, Whitlock, he's probably still bullpen. Yeah, you throw him back in the bullpen. We need him in the, as a closer, probably. But if you really, if you went on and got bullpen help, because bullpen help's cheaper than starting rotation, then maybe Whitlock could start. You're right. Then you got Whitlock, Bayo, then go get a get an ace if you can. Yeah, I mean, Rich Hill, maybe you got as a as a cheap cheap uh, deal. What do you think about Rich Hill? Walker, Walker gone, yeah. Walker's a free agent. I think Rich Hill, um, he impressed me. I thought he would, like, you know, fade over the length of the season. And yet, his last two starts, I think, what did he strike out, like, eight guys each start? Eight and seven. He had 15 strikeouts in his last two starts. Nine and six. Nine against the Orioles, six against the uh, Rays. Uh, And also, they gave up one earned run in his last 12 innings pitch with the Red Sox. Eight hits, 15 strikeouts with two walks. Uh, There's only one earned run. Pretty impressive, actually, over his last two games. I mean, we, we still got Paxton, who didn't even make the field this year. I mean, if he comes back healthy, um, oh, and Michael Walker, I would love to try to keep Walker around. I mean, if that's the case, you definitely have to strengthen the bullpen. But I think Whitlock looked like he, he he's more productive as a as a closer than he was at Atlanta. Yeah. But um, guys like Brazier and a few others, they just... We had more blown saves in the first couple of weeks. It kind of set tone for the season where we, we never got out of the basement. You're right. Because we were blowing, we were blowing leads, like, almost every game. You're right. Um, did, you, did, you, did you guys see, um, I'm just going to interject, because no, it's you Red Sox. You see that um, Fenway Sports Group is selling Liverpool? Yeah, I, I saw that. Looking into it. You think, are they... Is this to sign Devers, or is it? Oh, trying to get somebody to sign they, they might buy the uh, Commanders or something, right? The they could. No, they, they they definitely could. Uh, they were the, the money to do that. You'd think, right? They got the money to do that. Yeah, yeah. Probably to start well, out. If you sell, if you go sell a team for four billion, and I don't know how much NFL teams are worth a lot of money, but say five billion. Yeah, like five to ten billion. You could, you could swing that. Oh, definitely. I mean, you don't need it. it doesn't have to all be cash. <laughs> you never know, I guess. Um, it's a possibility. Uh, what we talk about the Red Sox pitching, Paxton, the Red Sox declined his option yesterday, $13 million option. So he's actually a free oh, agent. Uh, so he's oh. a loss. There's another guy that should have been a you know, pitcher for us last year, maybe towards the end of the year, and just never came back rehabbing. Um, staying on the topic of baseball really quick, where do you guys think Aaron Judge ends up? My five in a row that I think five teams are in the mix room that – Realistically, it's really just the top three. I'm going to go Yankees staying there. I'm going to go two San Francisco Giants, three Dodgers, four Mets, Red Sox, five. I don't think the Mets or Red Sox are going to make a run. But it's really Dodgers, Yankees, and Giants. What do you guys think? Who do you, where do you guys think he ends up? I got him going to the Mets. Mets? Okay. They have the money to spend. See, I just don't see him going anywhere but the Yankees. But. Here's the thing, though, about the Mets, though. They said today that it's growing likely that DeGrom leaves. Because he's going to want more money in the open market. So maybe they save that money and get Judge. What, DeGrom goes to the Yankees? Yeah, Judge goes to the... Typical New York. You think DeGrom goes to the Yankees, Paul? I think it would make sense in that, you know, you're pretty much trading major contracts. I mean, 
if if he if Judge doesn't go to the Mets, I think he go he goes back to the Yankees. But it sounds like the Mets really want him. Yeah, it does. And probably going to offer more money than anybody else. Maybe even except for the Yankees, but to the, to the Mets, I I just don't see the or I always think of the Yankees as they'll outbid anyone because they're just so it's just such a wealthy franchise and, and it's like the PR of letting your you know young power or I guess he's not as young as he used to be but judge like the poster child of the league you let him go somewhere else. That's the thing. That's the interesting about Judge. Um, and who knows? Maybe he ends up somewhere else um, and. Obviously, he's going to get some money no matter where he goes. Another thing is the Angels actually were at one point shopping Shohei Otani and ended up deciding, uh, they saying no, they're not right? going to trade him. Um, I bet the Yankees wanted him. but Who wouldn't want Otani, right? He's a stud. All-around stud. Yeah. Um, he really is, yeah. <laughs> he is. Um, anyways, looks like someone else is going to try to come in here. So, fortunately, we got cut off for the last minute or two. But, uh, anyways, thank you guys so much for coming on always. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure. And, uh, I want to do one last question like we always do, but uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll do it anyways. I was going to do top three sports movies. It might be tough to think of them, though, just off the top of the head. Um, I can think of mine really quick. Uh, if you guys can think of yours, uh, we'll trade that, and then I'll get out here in a minute. But I got, I got some ideas. All right, top three sports movies. We'll go Let in me throw one, one out day. first. Caddyshack. Does that count? Yes, that counts, of course. Oh, why not? <laughs> yeah. It's a comedy, too. It's a good one. Um, mine would probably be... It's hard to think of three, definitely, because there's so many. Um, Miracle's good. Miracle's a good one. Yep. It's hard to think of just three, yep. though. Remember the Titans, 100%. Yeah. I summer Catch, Fever Pitch. Mm-hmm. There you go. Fever I Pitch, Summer Catch. But I got to throw in one of the greatest comedies of all time happens to be a hockey movie called Slapshot. Absolute classic. It That's gets a classic. better the older it gets. And I'll throw in The Natural with Robert Redford. Thought it was a great baseball movie, and of course, I agree. Remember the Titan um, Miracle as well. Major League. Uh, oh, Major League, classic comedy. Yes, I, I. That's probably actually going to go in over Remember the Titans. Maybe, maybe, maybe Major League. I, I don't that's know if you guys have ever seen the movie Goon, but that one's pretty funny. I've never seen Goon. <laughs> Honor, seen. Honorable mention in the comedy category. So, Mike, what do you got? You got the Goon, you got Slapshot, and <laughs> no, you got Miracle. No. I, uh, I think. Maybe Caddyshack, Remember the Titans, and then Miracle. maybe Slapshot, Miracle. I don't know. I like it. No, I like it. It's a pretty good three right there. Um, seems like Hoosiers. Hoosiers is a good as far one. As basketball too. Goes. Hoosiers is a good one. Yeah, some basketball ones too. I got to think of more. Um, uh, but we'll definitely do this again. Obviously, we'll go in depth. Maybe get a top ten at some point. But thank you guys so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure talking to you guys. Uh, and hopefully, have you guys on again next week. Okay, man. It's All good right. to talk to you. Uh, thank Catch you. up again. Bye the sports guru. That's it. Right. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Have a good night. Bye-bye. Right. Bye-bye. So there you have it. That was a sports guru, Paul from Southie, both of them, the Boston Sports Encyclopedia. And then you had the sports guru, Mike Hurley, both of them on, uh, which is a pleasure as always. So thank you guys both for coming on. And that concludes this episode. Thank you guys so much, as always, for taking the time to listen to this. I appreciate it. I'll be back on, I think, tomorrow night uh, with The Playbook with Joey and Zach uh, from 8 to 9. Uh, from 9 to 9.30 to 10.30, actually, because we have a basketball game, I believe. Um, so probably a late episode there. I apologize for the coughing, too. Hopefully my cold hair um, gets better. I've been battling that, obviously, so it's a flu game for Jordan here. But uh, thank you guys so much, as always, for taking the time to listen to this. I appreciate it. Hope you guys have a good one. And thank you, as always, my family uh, and my friends for listening. Uh, shout out to Lisa, the O'Malley family, uh, all my siblings, my parents, uh, the sports guru, Mike Hurley. 
uh, the legend Mark Walsh and everyone else listening. Uh, thank you guys as always. And shout out to the Loftus family and the Keith family. They're always listening in uh, as well. And it's uh, much appreciated, truly. So thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. Hope you guys have a good night. Thank you.